The morning after the bushfire, I'd snuck home by six o'clock. Without much time to prepare myself for the return home was a shock. I dodged around the roadblocks to get back up to my place, my house alone there in the bush where fire swept through apace. My carport and my shed as well were such a welcome sight, though I had prepared myself I might have lost them through the night. I swung around the corner and pulled up in the drive. I saw right there the roof intact, so my house, it did survive. My guest on the podcast today is Peter Gill. Peter lives on the Granite Belt in the Southern Downs region, where he's surrounded by bushland that's a habitat to a diverse range of vegetation and wildlife including many birds, which you might hear as you listen to this episode. For Peter, writing poetry is a catalyst for self-expression and creativity. He shares one of his poems with us today that conveys the relief and the despair of returning home after the bushfire in September 2019. Peter also shares with us the vital importance of preparation and being proactive including asking for help of any kind if you need it. Peter, can you tell us what's your connection with the Southern Downs? Well, I've been here about 11 years, um, just over. And to be honest, I picked Stanthorpe off the map because I wanted to be near family in Brisbane and Ballina. But I wanted to be in a nice natural environment that had its own couple of industries, be it tourism and agriculture. So that I figured that there was going to be a healthy economy and a healthy community. And also wanted to be able to buy property with a significant amount of land, my idea of big land, so that I could care for that and be part of it, but still be near a community that had the basics to get by, shopping, the usual things. If you need to go to the big smoke, you do so, but otherwise... You can avoid it. So um, I just thought that Stanthorpe looked like an attractive town, be it Quartpot Creek and the national parks around it. Um, and yeah, the agricultural industry and the tourism industry being a significant part of how Stanthorpe can exist. And I was looking forward to becoming part of that and have done so. And a few years ago, 2019 and 2020, we had a number of fires come through the region and late last year, so late 2021, we had a community photography exhibition called Hope and Growth and that was an opportunity for people in the community to submit artwork, particularly photos, and you submitted some poetry to that and that was a great time to reflect on those bushfires and the recovery journey that the community had been on. Peter, would you like to share one of your poems with us? Sure, I'd be more than happy to do that. I did write seven or eight poems, most of them focused on the bushfire. Um, some of it was focused on thanking particular um, aspects of the either the firefighting process or the recovery process, being the community recovery hub. Uh, and I wrote a couple about a more personal note of living in the forest, coming home to a house in the forest after the fire had been through and things like that. So, yeah, there was a, a bit of variety that I expressed in that, and they were usually tapped out onto my phone at some ridiculous hour in the morning when I couldn't sleep properly because it was a bit on the stressful side, as you can imagine. So, yeah, I wrote a few, but I think we're going down the avenue of a personal aspect one that's written partly as a, an emotional returning home but also includes a bit of an educational aspect about how to manage 
your own bush setting if you live amongst the bush or you have some native bushland nearby. Um, it's got a little bit of educational stuff about how to interact with your environment so that you can live in harmony with it rather than being scared of it and how to prepare yourself for bushfire, basically. It touches on a couple of different levels. But we're going for the returning home one, just simply called returning home. And here it is. The morning after the bushfire, I'd snuck home by six o'clock. Without much time to prepare myself for the return home was a shock. I dodged around the roadblocks to get back up to my place, my house alone there in the bush where fire swept through a pace. My carport and my shed as well were such a welcome sight, though I had prepared myself I might have lost them through the night. I swung around the corner and pulled up in the drive, I saw right there the roof intact, so my house it did survive. Though as I looked around me, with smoke still in the air, the brief sense of relief had passed and turned into despair. Most of my sheds and caravans and several water tanks, the fire on its ruthless charge, had ploughed on through their ranks. My firebreak had done its job almost right across the hill, and yet it crept around the sides and burnt most things down still. Where I'd done cool fuel burns, the forest fared really well. Where the high fuel loads were, the fire turned it all to blackened hell. So the lesson here is not to rest until your fire prep is done and your bushfire plan is personalised, not just some generic one. You've got to make really sure that you've thought of everything, for now we know a bushfire plan is not something you can wing. You've got to keep on top of the grass and trim it nice and short. If you let some parts get out of hand, you'll be on that insurance report. So call the local fireys in for a fuel reduction burn. Slip the brigade 200 bucks. Could save your place. You'll learn. For fire generally knows no bounds, charging like an angry steer, so it really came as no surprise that it had done some damage here. The drought we're in has set the stage for a scary fire season. For a week ago, it was winter here. Methinks climate changed the reason. It's all part of preventing loss and reducing risk of pain, for once you've been through one bushfire, its memory will remain. That's returning home. There are a lot of pointers in there about preparing, really practical pointers about preparing for bushfire season and that emotional element as well. Certainly a very stressful event. Yeah. Being part of a bushfire. It certainly was. And that recovery journey, I think it really starts even before the bushfire, doesn't it, with your preparation. And then there's that stressful event and then there's the immediate clean-up, the immediate things that need to be done that are often very practical things. And then as time goes on, there continues to be recovery. I'm thinking that that Hope and Growth exhibition in the community That came about around about two years after the fire. So reflecting on those two years, there's been, you know, a lot of other actions that have taken place that have been part of your recovery journey. And and for the community as a whole, there's been a lot going on too. Absolutely. The agricultural community, not every year, but, you know, frequently goes through stressful times, whether it be hail damage, flood damage, fire damage, yeah, various economic issues. So, yeah, I mean, our community deals with stress every year. It's not just an economic cycle or a global phenomenon of a flu or anything. It's it's every year. It's tough going. And I think part of the strength of the community is that there's support out there and it's part of the acknowledgement that if you need support and you know it exists, then you feel confident enough or brave enough or it's, you know, not stigmatised. It's like, oh, you know, I'm 
I'm being a bit of a wimp here. I need some help. It's like, no, it's not about that. It's about, it's about understanding that other people are going through similar things. They might have been there before. They might be going through it at the same time as you. And if you can interact with people in your community, then you've got support and you might have, you might get some good ideas from someone about how to deal with something, or you might simply have someone who's willing to listen to you tell them how hard it is. Opening up to someone can be the first step for you to have an emotional recovery or to deal with a problem or to fix something or, you know, whether it's sharing two people talking about, yes, we're both having the same problem, isn't it terrible? Or, hey, I've come up with this solution or, you know, so-and-so told me that we could do this or whatever. And next thing you know, you've got resources available to you. You've got something to help. The concept of mental health, we're starting to try and get it out there in the public domain rather than it's like, you know, you know, did you hear about this? I don't don't really want to talk about it. Well, now you can actually talk about something with confidence and say, look, I'm going to go out and I'm going to talk to someone and I'm going to get, whether it's counselling or I'm going to find a resource to help, whether it be something as simple as practical skills or recovery or, you know, mental health improvements, whether it be socialising more, whether it be getting help with fixing the farm, coping with the loss of a crop, that sort of thing. It's about sharing, it's about support, and it's about acknowledging that it's okay to say you're not okay. I mean, that's the whole thing mentioned about the Blue Tree Project, and that was a project to raise awareness of a lack of mental health, perhaps. Like, you know, you're stressed and you're worried that you're going to lose the plot or, you know, you're not going to be able to cope with situations as you used to, and to be able to talk about it, um, whether it be in confidence or whether it be with friends, to actually just acknowledge that there's an issue and start dealing with it and working towards solutions rather than dwelling on the fact that you've got a problem. Work towards solutions, get support. And, um, yeah, let's face it, you can save a few lives by everyone being able to find the resource base that they need and find a connection with someone that's going to help them, even if it's just someone at council steering them in the right direction saying, you know, you can get help by contacting this number or something. It's like the first step is the most important one. You don't solve something if you haven't taken your first step. So the first step is the biggest one. It's the hardest one. It might be the most confronting one to acknowledge that, hey, I'm not coping with this. I'm not dealing with it. need some help. And that is the moment in time where you actually start fixing something because you've acknowledged that it exists and that you want to fix it. So yeah, the Blue Tree Project was a, a bit of a, um, a visual for creating awareness and to get the community talking about it. It gets people talking and starts helping people find solutions to problems that they're facing. So yeah, there's always a solution. You can have been through something really stressful. A whole family can go through it. A whole community can go through it. A whole country can go through it. It's about finding help. And certainly the research has been showing how important it is to be connected with your community and to be prepared for stressful events, whether it is a bushfire, preparing your property and preparing your safety plan for a bushfire, or it can be making sure that you're connected and that you know where to seek help if there is something else stressful going on in your life. Troubles are predictable. Some are predictable, some are not. You can see some of them coming. I started preparing for the bushfire that came on Friday night. I started preparing on Monday and I decided on Sunday that I was going to prepare for Friday. 
on Monday. So I took the day off work and I took stuff off my bush property and stored it in town because I thought, excuse me, if the hits the fan on Friday because the, the weather forecast is appalling, strong winds, hot winds, high temperatures, dry dry ground. I was like, this place is a tinderbox. If Friday turns out badly, I'm going to be really up the creek unless I do something today. So on the Monday, I actually was probably the only person that was thinking about a bushfire on Friday because I took my rod on mower and my trailers and started packing things up. I packed up all my backpacks full of clothes and bedding and stuff. And I thought, because if I don't prepare now, I'm not going to have time. If I've got five hours notice that there's a fire coming, I'm going to be losing a hell of a lot of stuff if my place goes up. And I sat on the bonnet of my four-wheel drive in town watching the fire go over the hill. And I counted the fireballs go up with the gas bottles exploding. And I actually thought they were the gas bottles next to the hot water for the house and the granny flat. And it turned out to be barbecue gas bottles. But if I hadn't have prepared myself for the possibility that I was going to lose, possibly going to lose everything, then I wouldn't have had the mental focus to start acting and preparing myself for the possibility of loss, for the mental anguish. Now, if I'm taking action, then I'm not suffering mental anguish. If you're starting to prepare yourself for, be it a drought, or you, you know, you're going to go, well, look, I'm not going to suffer from hail damage next year because I'm going to invest in hail netting, or my crops, they're not all going to be just tomatoes. I'm going to have a diversity of crops. The neighbour up the road now grows vegetables as well as fruits and things like that. So that's about diversifying it's about preparing, it's about building up a buffer zone or cushioning yourself or whatever. You can't always see trouble, disasters coming, but um, there are certainly times when if you stop and think about the possibility of a particular type of disaster, then it's you know the forewarned, forearmed sort of thing. If you're already on the front foot and you're thinking about it, you're conscious about it, you're mentally more mentally prepared for it, you're also more physically prepared and and more economically prepared perhaps so there's things like that so it's about preparation and coping and you're more likely to bounce back got to be honest i bounced back reasonably well after the fire because i just went wow okay so i've reduced my human footprint on my block of land it's you know a big block of bush it's now more natural so rather than going i lost all my push bikes in the shed and you know all that went up and all my building materials got burnt like, well, now I don't have as many projects to deal with, so life's going to be easier. <laughs> um, and you decide how you manage your recovery and not to mince words, but you get an insurance payout if you get burnt out. You get an insurance payout if you're insured properly. I know I was underinsured, but I decided what I spent money on to replace what I wanted to replace and didn't replace what I thought, well, I actually can get by without that. So that's part of putting things in perspective and the usual thing of seeing a silver lining in a situation. How you deal with it, I guess, is really important. You know, rather than me sitting and moping like, sure, I was in shock for days and weeks for sifting through stuff and looking at you know, everything that got charred, going, oh, there's you know, one of my best resource books. You know, here's the front cover, the little, little bit of ash that you can just read if you look at it on the right angle. How do you deal with that? It's hard. Sounds like it was almost in a surprising way an opportunity to reevaluate your priorities, how you spend your time and, and your energy and finances. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's the full range of aspects in your life, whether it be health, financial, recreational, 
employment and it's not necessarily a fresh start as such, but it's certainly part of it was a clean slate and going, okay, so I'm going to rethink how I do things to reduce the possible exposure to risk in the future or to feel okay about loss. To, to be able to deal with loss, you've got to feel okay about it. You've got to accept it. You've got to understand it. You've got to talk about it. So then you can cope with it and move on. Not moving on forgetting, but moving on knowing. Knowing that you've managed to survive something or recover from something and perhaps you know, reduce the chance of loss in the future or be a bit smarter than you were last time around. Like we've got to come up with a way of minimising our exposure to damage or loss. And that can be done as a long-term preparation basis, whether it be every year you prepare yourself for bushfire season or you prepare yourself for storm season or that sort of thing, or economic downturn, you know, whether you're multi-skilled or whether you're, you can only do one thing. Um, I'm always busy. That's because I do three different things in my employment for self-employed. You know, I do trees, I do grass and I do shrubs and I can do handyman stuff or whatever. That's that's just a, a simplistic thing. But, but diversifying your interests means that you're going to roll with the punches and be able to get through things more like the next door neighbour doesn't just grow fruit anymore. He does the veggies and that sort of stuff. So you've got different markets that you can sell your products on different times of year when you can sell it so you've got a more consistent income or something like that so it's basically about understanding your own situation preparing yourself for change being able to accept a change and deal with it and when things get out of hand knowing how to step up and change tack or readdress things reassess it and maybe go off on a different tangent as long as you're prepared mentally then you've got a lot more chance of being able to cope with it. And if something takes you by surprise that you weren't prepared for and you've never thought about, then you're more likely to be knocked off your feet and take months to get back on your feet. And that's a hard slog. I've seen it happen to people. You know, I might have been part of it myself at times. But strengthening yourself for the possible things, the foreseeable things and the unforeseeable things, it's, I guess it comes down to strength of spirit and, and your preparedness and your foresight to have a bit of an idea about what things in life can affect you and what things you can bounce back from and what things you're going to need help with and who you can contact to get help. So circling back to community projects and community events like the Hope and Growth Exhibition, and we know that when people are, are connected with events with projects with people with the land in their community that they have a greater opportunity to bounce back it sounds like you're saying it really helps to have people in your life that you can talk to that you can be open with about how things are going you've got practical help there as well you can help other people but they can also step in and give you a hand if you might need that from time to time absolutely and raising awareness and sharing information, that's something else that you brought up as being really important in those connections that we have in the community. Yeah, being comfortable with acknowledging that something's not right in your life and thinking about which friend or family member or community member or which official person, you know, whether they be behind a desk or on the other end of a phone, 
trying to think about who's most likely or most relevant or who could understand, who can assimilate and understand with what you're going through and who can help you, even if it means asking someone else, who do you reckon I should call or where should I go? Should I try the council or should I ring up the state ombudsman or go and talk to a neighbour that you know went through such and such 10 years ago? Talk to them about how they coped with something. Yeah, it's about taking the first steps to recovery, not expecting recovery to come to you necessarily, but to actually go, hey, I want to fix this. How can I do it? Some really great pointers in there. Thank you, Peter, and thanks for sharing your poetry with us as well. You're very welcome. There's a few on the wall in the Hope and Growth exhibition. You can pop into Jamworks or you can go into the High Street or out to Wild Grounds Cafe out east of Warwick and then there's Vincenzo's. There's a few places around where you can see some bushfire photos and some of my poetry's on the wall there. I don't consider myself to be a poet per se, but you need a catalyst or a stimulus, something to provoke the need to express something. And I just chose poetry to do it. Some people would draw a painting. Some people would write a story. Some people would go and plant a forest. I just use poetry. But now and then, I mean, I could go months a couple of years, whatever, without writing anything. But then something dramatic happens like that, and next thing you know, you pop out eight poems in the space of three or four days. Let it be said that the growth season that we're in with all of this beautiful lush growth will eventually lead to dry grass, dry leaves, and possibly water shortage. It's just the usual cycle. So don't think that we've had one bushfire. It's reduced the fuel load. It's building up again. So Be prepared. Be prepared. Think about it work out what you need to do to minimise the damage. Be prepared. Thanks for listening to the Speak Out Loud Stories of Strength podcast with me, Catherine Walton. I hope this episode inspires you to get involved and to get connected with your community. You can find the transcript and any links mentioned in this episode in the show notes. And please share the podcast with your friends. We acknowledge and pay respect to the past, present and future traditional custodians and elders of this nation and the continuation of cultural, spiritual and educational practices of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Series 2 of this podcast has been jointly funded under the Commonwealth and State Disaster Recovery Funding Arrangements 2018.